welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you very much. My name is Jim Burnett, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. My sobriety date is 7-11-06, and, I am, that's a, and it's a miracle. Believe me, it's a miracle. Uh, I'm a chronic relapser. I, uh, I have to talk a little bit about my, my alcohol and drug addiction because it's so intertwined with my sexaholism. Um, I, uh, I love drugs. I love drugs so much I went to pharmacy school. I graduated from pharmacy school and I loved drugs so much I went to medical school so I could prescribe my own stuff. I, uh, I practiced medicine for uh, 25 years or 30, 30 years, um, and then my, my, um, my sexaholism and my drug addiction prematurely ended my career, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But, but anyway, I started coming to 12-step meetings in 1981 and when I was about 30, 32, 32 years old, and, um, and, and like I said, I'm a chronic relapser. I've been to treatment of one kind or another, and I'm talking about treatment that lasted at least a month and up to five months. I've been six times in my life. Um, it just seems like every time that I would get in trouble with whatever I was doing, I would, I would want to run, I'd want to run. I wouldn't, I didn't, I never had enough in me to be able to quit, go to meetings, follow instructions and stay sober. I had to go to a place where I could get some time under my belt and then, and then sometimes I would do okay and sometimes I wouldn't. But um, but but after after a couple of tr- treatments in, in for alcohol and drugs, I got sober and I stayed sober for almost 20 years, clean, clean and sober in, in, from alcohol and drugs. Um, my sex addiction, you know, I, I usually start my story with with what happened in 1996 when I was in my late 40s. But if I get real honest and and look back. You know, my sex, my sexaholism and lust addiction started when I was 15 years old when I got my high school girlfriend pregnant, uh, and she had a child out of wedlock. Um, and and later, uh, in my first year of college, I got my, my my another high school girlfriend pregnant, and we married. And then we divorced, and I got a couple of other women pregnant that had abortions. So and. And after all of that, I never stopped to consider that maybe I had a problem with sex. I mean, that's just how messed up I am. Um, I just thought, well, I'm unlucky, you know, and 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 just blew it off. Um, I did have a period of sexual sobriety during my during my chemical dependency sobriety years 
and I don't know why. God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Maybe I was working a, a halfway decent program in AA. I don't know what, but, but there was about 13 years that I didn't act outside of my, my marriage or with, or with myself, and I, and I wasn't interested in, in doing that. In 19, I, so, so I practiced medicine in a small country town right outside of Memphis. Um, and in 1996, uh, I had a patient and she was seductive. Don't get me wrong. But as my sponsor pointed out to me the first time he told, heard me tell my story, um, I, I was not the victim. I groomed her, although she was, she was seductive and whatever. I I saw her, I groomed her, I I planned this, and eventually we had uh, we began having sex outside of my marriage. Um, the first time this happened, it was in my office, and it really it really made me crazy sick. Wow, what have I done? And and I was already a recovering physician in in the Tennessee Medical Association. And so I thought, what have I got to do? I'm going to tell the person that I that I don't want to know the most. So I, I mean, I had some some reasonable thinking at that time. Uh, so I told on myself, and this was in 1996. And the guy that was the medical director of the Tennessee Medical Association Impaired Physician Program just gave me bad advice. That's all I can say. He said, stop the behavior. And continue talking about it in your meetings, and and then and then get back with me later. Well, if I could have stopped the behavior, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have had a problem. I mean, that's that that goes against everything. I couldn't stop the behavior anyway, and I started lying about it. I kept on telling people that I was okay, and and I wasn't, and I continued to to act out and. And finally got in trouble again and got, you know, went to treatment um, in 1999. It it didn't take. I I didn't stay sober very long. And um, I ended up, I ended up relapsing on on chemicals after, after 19 years of sobriety because of the shame of my acting out. I was so ashamed of what I was doing. I wanted some relief, and I knew I knew better. I knew where to, I knew I knew, knew to go tell on myself and go to meetings and go to treatment and whatever whatever it took. Um, but I just didn't do that. And lo and behold, when I added chemicals to my to my sexaholism, it just rocketed me into a new new dimension. I uh, I went I went crazier and crazier, and uh, started. Uh, flirting with uh, everybody, started having sex with with a lot of folks. And for me, in the middle of my sexaholism, I would, I would uh, flirt with a woman um, and, tr- and set something up, maybe. And as soon as I got the okay from her, you know, okay, we can meet and we can do whatever, that's really... I mean, that's really all I wanted. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I carried through, don't get me wrong, and had sex on many occasions, but, but, um, but just getting the acceptance from somebody at that level 
that they would uh, have sex with me was 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 what uh, it just it was just what I was would crave, and 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 everything would be okay. And sometimes sometimes I would be able to back out and not follow through, but uh, but I got what I wanted when I got the okay. That's that's the point. Um, anyway, anyway, I continued. Uh, I went to treatment, like I said, in 1999 for for a month, and then I went back. I uh, got into a lot more trouble, and I went to down to General Path in Hattiesburg under Patrick Carnes in 2005. By this time, I was really in trouble, and people were were reporting me to the board, and I had a had a pretty good case against against me on on my license. And uh, I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to uh, treatment with Patrick Carnes. But you pay a bunch of money and you stay there for a long time and you get to spend about 15 minutes with Patrick Carnes. And in my case, in my 15 minutes, he told me that I needed probably to do some retraining. And so that was the first time I ever, somebody ever told me that, you know what, I'm, you're doing, you're in the wrong profession. I don't, I don't know if you can stay sober or I don't know if it's going to be safe for you to continue practicing medicine. It was the first time I heard from any, anybody that, that I trusted or respected, and it just it just about killed me, or you know, hurt broke my broke my spirit. Um, I also found out at this time that my father, who was an alcoholic, when I was ten years old, he would come home, and uh, I had a I have I have a half sister, so his he would he would perpetrate sexually on my on my his stepdaughter, my half sister. Uh and I and I never knew that until I was in, in sex addiction treatment and she told me. And um and I told Patrick Carnes that and he said, you know, even though I didn't know it, that behavior, that atmosphere, something it may have had something to do with my psyche. It may have something to do with with how I with my sexaholism. Um so I you know, I I just throw that out there because I, I don't know but some guru told me that, so I just thought I'd pass that along. Um, I didn't get sober. I, I surrendered my license, and I laugh when I say that because it's like they t- they called me and said, if you don't surrender your license by noon tomorrow, we're calling a special meeting of the board and we're taking them. So, so you know, I can I can say I surrendered them, but that's but that's really the the whole truth is uh, I would have lost them anyway. Um, so that's in 2005. Um, I continued to use drugs a little bit. I continued to act outside of my marriage a little bit. I mean, and 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 I know that sounds like uh, denial or minimization or whatever, but it's the truth. I mean, I was doing it one percent as much as I did the year before that, but. I wasn't sober. I mean, the point is, is that I wasn't sober. I wasn't doing the right thing, and I and 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 my whole my whole being at that time was focused on getting my medical license back. So after a year, I went back to a place um, in in right outside of Dallas, in right outside of Denton, Texas, in Argyle, Texas, named Sante, and they did evaluations and treatment for professionals that had sexual and and other and other addictions. Well, I went back there for for a three day evaluation to get my license back, and lo and behold, I met my nemesis, the polygraph machine. So 
when I gave them my line and they asked me the questions under the, I just flunked. So I flunked the polygraph machine and got got offered treatment. So I went for three days and I stayed five months. Uh, I have not had, I have not found it necessary to have a drink or a drug or a mood altering woman or act out act out sexually uh, according to the SA sobriety definition since July 11th 2006 and and that's and that's like I said earlier that's a miracle and that's a big deal and something I'm never sufficiently grateful for um, now I get to talk about the good stuff I, I I mean my life hadn't been perfect when I came back from from a from my my last sex addiction treatment in 2006, um, I was so ashamed. I was a, I had been a doctor in this little town for 20 years, and so now I'm, I've lost my license, I'm out of practice, and I'm in this little community, and I just, it's just hard for me. I didn't, for the first year, I hardly went to the, going to the grocery store was a big deal, and I tried not to do it. I went to a few meetings, and I went to my therapist, uh, but other than that, I stayed at home. And believe me, every day of the first year of my sobriety or my clean time or, or dry time or whatever you want to call it, I knew where my pistol was. And I thought about going to that safe and getting my pistol out every day. And, and the good part of that is one day at a time. Um, I, I worked with some people, and I, and I, and I, and I, you know, I had to wake up every day and say, "Today, I'm not going to kill myself, and I'm going to do my best not to not to act out or drink or drug." Um, and and you guys, I, I promise you this from my experience. I mean, it is so important to do the to jump through these hoops that we have. Going to meetings, working with your sponsor, working steps, uh, being in the fellowship, um, and all that. And you might hear, you know, don't act out. If your ass falls off, pick up your ass and go to a meeting. Don't just don't act out. And I believe that time, me going through a year, Although I was doing therapy and meetings and everything and all the good stuff and 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 plug, plugging in with God too, I believe the time that I was able to get by gave me as much uh, serenity, sobriety, ability to do the next day as any one thing. I mean, it's just hugely important to let time pass. Don't act out. Let time pass. Don't act out. No matter what, don't act out. Let time pass. And with all and all these other things that we do, uh, we get better. Uh, you know, it's 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 just huge that that deal. One day at a time. Um, another thing I want to talk about, and I, and I and I borrow this from a from a man named Ron H. And I think he's from East. East, Eastern United States, and some of you may know him. And and I want to I want to talk about and read a little thing. It'll take me a couple of minutes, um, but I want to share this because it's a big deal. Um, and and let me laugh and say, um, you know, we don't have any rules, but 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 one of the guidelines that I go by is when I find something I really like, 
and I give credit to the person that, that where it came from three times. After that, it's mine. So, so you may hear me talk next year, and I and I won't give any credit to Ron H. It'll be mine because I've done it three times, um, and this is the second time. The first time I did it, I spoke at a marathon in in uh, Salt Lake City last year. But I, let me read this and and then talk about it some. I can't help but start this share with one of my all-time favorite quotes. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And that comes from the Princess Bride. Um, others, others have shared about that word recently. For me, surrender is that word. Sometimes that word is thrown around so loosely at essay meetings that it loses its radical and paradoxical nature. The essay book has a lot to say about surrender, and some of my favorites on page 81. And that says, in summary for us, surrender is the change in attitude of the inner person that makes life possible. It's the great beginning, the insignia and watchword of our program. And no amount of knowledge about surrender can make it a fact until we simply give up, let go, and let God. When we surrender our freedom, we become truly free. And and so maybe some of you have experienced what I've experienced, and somebody will come to a meeting and they'll surrender what they did this afternoon. Let me let me let me share on about that. From what I've been able to understand and experience, surrender is not confession. I'm actually if I'm actually working the twelve step program and I'm in a right relationship with God through the kind of surrender essay book talks about, I will not have anything that needs confessing at a meeting. Um, but if I just spent the afternoon browsing porn or acting out in other ways, I certainly didn't surrender any of my freedom to engage in fantasy and other lust-driven acting out behavior. I acted out. I am not sober. And I was completely high on my lust drug. Saying that when I share about my afternoon a few hours later at my at my meeting is surrendering. I'm going to surrender what I did this afternoon, you guys, and then blah, blah, blah. That's far from the reality of what happened that afternoon. Surrender is radical. Surrender is extreme. And surrender is how I continue to leave lust behind in the heat of the moment. Because it is the result of a lifestyle change that started with step three. Surrender is not something I do on the backside of my acting out. Something that looks a lot more like trying to unload guilt and shame. That's not surrender at all. If I, this is my opinion, y'all. If I show up at a meeting and I say, I surrender what I did this afternoon and I did this, 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 and this. That's just confessing. That's me unloading some crap on y'all so I can feel better and walk out of the meeting. And what about the poor newcomer that's there and he, and he, he begins to think, well, these meetings are about people coming in and, and, and confessing, confessing what they did and then walking away from it. And that, in my opinion, is not what a meeting is about at all. Uh, my sponsorship line and what I've been taught is that we bring our strength to the meeting and we save our crap for our sponsor uh that uh, that's and that's and that's again that is my opinion um from re for me 
Surrender is a whole new way of life, a whole new way of thinking and relating to God. It continues to happen in the moments of life because there has been a change brought about by working the steps of the program. Surrender is an attitude as an attitude means that there has been a significant change in my life, thanks to God. Um, maybe some of you know about the 12th step. And, and if you read the 12th step, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Believe me, that's why I keep coming back. It's because of spiritual awakenings as the result of these steps. Uh, the program is the steps. I mean, there are a lot of good things to do, lots of hoops to jump through, going to meetings, hanging out with the fellowship, reading the book, talking to a sponsor. But working the steps with a sponsor that's working the steps with a sponsor is how I stay sober. And I, and I said it just like that. I, it's important for me. My sponsor's been sober 16 years. His name is Steve S., and I believe he spoke on here a few weeks ago. And he works, he works steps with a sponsor while, he, while I work steps with him. Actually, we're going through the traditions now, but, uh, but I still meet with him or talk with him um, frequently, and we, uh, and we do step work together. I sponsor people, and, my, and my, my sponsees have as much to do today to keep me sober as uh, as any other one thing i mean it keeps me fresh to work a first step to work the first step with a new sponsee or to work the fourth and fifth step with a sponsee or to work the ninth step the ninth step guys and the tenth step are the are two two of the steps that have given me the most relief and i want to tell you just real quick you know it says in the promises it says we will be amazed before we're halfway through on page 83 talking about the ninth step and literally, I had 43 people on my eighth step, and I started making amends. And when I was through with 21, it was before I was halfway through, and I became amazed. I started, I got on this pink cloud. I started feeling like life had, was wonderful, and, and, and I had a spiritual experience. And, and it was so it's a literal for me. I was amazed before I was halfway through. With those, with those amends. Um, today, the tenth step is a big deal for me. It probably gives me as much relief as any as any other one step today. It's important for me to be able to wake up every morning with a clean slate, no garbage from the past. And how I do that is by is doing tenth step amends. Um, you know, immediately or promptly or as soon as possible, and so 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 that I don't have anything hanging over my head, and I can wake up and have and I have a better chance of having a good day. Um, there's more I want to talk about the tenth step, but I just looked at my clock and I've been on here for 25 or 30 minutes, and so I guess I'll stop now. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity of. Uh, being able to share, and uh, thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. 
please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.